ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. My name is Rashaw. This is Season 7, Episode Number 14, a conversation with author, speaker, Keith Giles. We're joined by Craig Weir from My Pilgrimage the Group on Facebook, all the way from the southern hemisphere of this big blue marble, the gold coast of Australia. ASI247.org, the Bodines. Hey, uh, if you go to Spotify or the website, again, ASI247.org, you click on the, there's a playlist on Spotify, uh, ASI Podcast Bumps, where you can connect with the bands, follow the bands, you know, you get notifications. Keeps my nose clean with the recording industry here, a little fair use <laughs> talk radio bumper promo rule is what I'm exercising here. Um, also, become a co-producer. I don't have a Patreon page for this here uh, excursion, this audio adventure. But, uh, yeah, if you'd like to be a monthly uh, contributor or producer like Seth S. or Glenn or, or Carlton Monthly uh, gives a little bit monthly, Carlton. That's huge. That helps immensely. So, yeah, the, the freedom ain't free. <laughs> I don't know. This is, uh, it's, you know, people say that. So I thought I would add it to the show here. Why not? Today, we're talking about some theology. I've got an author on the show. Uh, great guy. He's written a number of books. And some of you just rolled your eyes. Like, I can feel you. Some of you are like, oh, it's the God stuff. We're going to talk about that. Um, out. Listen. I want to answer the question about the aloneness, all right? And hopefully in a way you don't expect. Well, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and, you know, everyone's heard that. In my country, it's like this insurance commercial that everyone knows that. Save 15 minutes and call, right? Like, there's part of our desire, even the unwanted behavior desire, that's helping us try and find some kind of footing for ourselves um are we alone that's a big part of the theology question and there's people that have said and you know that god's a crutch um religion i would say is a crutch for sure but getting into who is god is a big vast question and just not believing in anything like sounds good you're just alone. You're just a evolved thing, and no one cares about you. Right? There's no angels or vast, you know this. Uh, and, and I get that. Like that makes sense philosophically for a lot of people, especially people who've undergone a, a lot of pain and loss. But a lot of folks with that worldview still have mountains of anxiety. There was a a French philosopher, Jacques Lacan, who said that the definition of anxiety is not knowing who we are 
in the eyes of the other. And that anxiety is stems from that in our being. And he would theorize that, you know, we look into the mirror, we see the ego, right? And that's when the ego is formed, right? First time you look in the mirror, we're trying to make sense of that person and whether they're completely alone and on their own and having to figure things out or not. And maybe for some of you who aren't interested in the God stuff, right? I get that. Um, I don't, you know, and you're still listening. (laughs) The curiosity that maybe I could stir is for those of us who have grown up in a religious tradition that has kind of branded and marketed God as this kind of Superman Marvel character to come in and, and save us. In the in the Christian tradition, there's just a lot of working to answer the alone question with a lot of thoughts and a lot of books and a lot of ways that we should or ought to um, translate Scripture. For example, like there's a part of our spirit, a part of our being that is hungry and thirsty for like solid food has been getting milk for a very long time and is starting to feel disenfranchised, to say the least. Unnourished. When I was a child, I acted as a child. You know, this... Getting rid of some of the language of having to lean on Father, right? The Matthew 23, Jesus gets into that with the religious folks. There's no one... Stop calling people or teachers on this earth father for you have one father in heaven what what does that mean i think the tribal aspect of that when you get into like religious organizations or denominations is you know like hillary clinton made this line very famous um it takes a village right it takes a village to raise a child Getting growing from out of that who you are and are you alone, wading out into the kind of existential. Well, this was supposed to fill that empty hole, but now I'm, you know, I'm shoving porn in there and I still got the hole, right? Like realizing that some of these things that we sought answers for are still in the gray. So stick with us here if you're not into theology, because I really strongly believe that desire, even unwanted behavior, it's a way to try and gain that aloneness footing, what we do with the alone. I found God on the corner of First and Amistad, where the West was all. But one all alone smoking his last cigarette. I said, Where you been? He said, Ask anything. Where were you when everything was falling apart? All my days spent by telephone. Stand 
getting into the fray here on the ASI podcast. That band's called The Fray. Love that song. I love music's way to express those feels, right? The emotional impact. And a lot of us over time have felt like that. People have grown up in this Christian religious tradition like myself and Craig Weir joins me. We get into what turned out to be an awesome conversation with Keith Giles, whose work bravely and passionately for me is getting into the very old um, Eastern, right? Christianity really is an Eastern religion before the West got in there with its power structures and using religion as a method of controlling the people. Keith's work gets into some of the deeper meanings and questions around who is Jesus, son of God, son of man, the Christ, who is that? What does that mean? That's, that, I believe, is a big part of Keith's work, un, un, the unbooks, <laughs> undoing a lot of damage that's been very profitable for religion and religious institutions and even with the best of intentions still is rooted in even subconscious not being aware of it control and hurting of the people rather than shepherding keith is the author of four of the unbooks jesus unveiled jesus unbound jesus untangled and a fifth book coming out which he will talk about in this conversation i'm gonna shut up right after this bumper we're gonna get into it thanks for listening thanks for bearing with me here This is your room for, uh, that's when I, I was, I was, so Craig here yeah. um, brought you to my mind again with the, uh, my pilgrimage group. And I was just thinking, man, I, I need to interview Keith. You know, I've been thinking that for a few weeks and then I'm watching your live stream the other day and you're like, Hey, you know, podcasters, give me a shout. And uh, here yeah. we are. Thanks for, for being here, man. Yeah, when you were quick on the draw, I think I said that, and I was still doing the video, and you popped up and said something. I was like, oh, hey, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, that was quick. Yeah, it was, it was a sign, I think. Uh, it's yeah, something very spiritual cool. going on, right? Craig, uh, yeah. welcome. Craig is here. Uh, Thank you. Craig is from uh, the Gold Coast of Australia. Yeah, that's right. It's 11 a.m. where you're at. Yeah, it's uh, Wednesday, and it's going to be 27 today, so... 
Oh, wow. I can't complain about that. Yeah. <laughs> it was a balmy 85 here in the Seattle area today. Okay. Wow. Oh, yeah. We were in the hundreds in El Paso. Wow. Oh, I can imagine. Terrible. Yeah. I stay inside, though. Yeah. <laughs> so, Keith, you are an interesting dude, man. You started cranking out books, and uh, you and I, like, we had a, I've come across you in, in different areas on Facebook. I was looking at the thread when I invited you, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. We had that conversation a while back about, you said something about women's value in the church and leadership and stuff and stuff ironically a bunch of women came back like angry <laughs> yeah well that is odd you know what but i mean there are some women yeah who are who have been convinced that the bible is against women in leadership but um it's a i'm happy to talk about that topic it's a it's uh but it's something where if you look at look deeper than the English translations that we have and to go look at the Greek of what's actually happening, uh, both in the first Corinthians passage and the first Timothy passage, you, you learn uh, there's a whole lot more going on there than meets the eye. Right. Bottom line, Paul is not against women. So <laughs> that's right. The Bible wasn't written in English. That's a big, no, one. it's a big shock to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really wasn't. <laughs> and so, yeah, welcome to ASI. That's a big part of, of this podcast, why it started. Um, this podcast started because I went a year without viewing pornography. I had compulsive sexual behavior that was, you know, tearing apart my family. It was, you know, I had this, this thing where I wasn't in control of my own body. Yeah. I felt like my own desires and getting back into church healing was interesting because you start to see where transformation, like what the guy says from the pulpit on Sunday is a lot different than the guy or the lady that you're seeing as a Christian counselor or reputable Christian counselor is going to have probably different theology in a yeah, lot of bit. ways. Sometimes. Know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So your work and uh, Craig uh, being a, a really great guy on My Pilgrimage, which is a Facebook group, which it, it helps folks who are struggling with uh, compulsive sexual behavior. It's not just that. It's a, you know, it's a pilgrimage. Like life is a pilgrimage. Let's right. It's a journey. Yeah, it's a process. Yeah, exactly. Instead of recovery. Yeah. You know, I love what C.S. <laughs> Lewis said about that. You're like, recovering from what? <laughs> <laughs> so the yeah. pilgrimage. Um, it's just a beautiful, I, it's the one thing I endorse right now for, for folks. If they're going to ask me, you got to try my pilgrimage and your name comes up a lot, Keith, because your, your books, your understanding of theology, then meshes a lot more with what's real, what's honest. Um, the complexity of uh, a Bible that's not written in English for is one great example. Yeah. I want to hear from Craig a little bit. How, introduce yourself a little bit, Craig. How did you uh, come across my program? Hi. Um, oh, it, it was uh, a few years back, about four years back. Um, I, similar to you, I, I had, uh, my background was, um, I didn't know it at the time, but four years ago, uh, my life did the big crash. And I, I wasn't conscious of, but, but 
now that like I've so, I'm sorting things through and um, I can look back through my life to a time when I was younger where I encountered sexual abuse mm. and not realizing it, thinking this was just my life. I had no idea of how this, that was affecting me and, and to the extent that it does affect people. Yeah. Um, and through my like church life and church upbringing, I was, you know, you're always told that you're finding the carnal, the carnal man and the, you know, all this sort of thing. So you're in this fight and, 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 um, and I suppressed a lot of stuff because yeah. I was trying to be a Christian. I wanted to do the right thing. And, and, and that worked, that worked for a fair few years. Um, it affected my marriage and my relationship with my children in, in my family. Um, unbeknowing to me, that emotional connection it affected. So through, through my life, I, I suppressed things and I was carrying this stuff and not being not conscious of it. Um, and then like suppressing it to a point where you can only suppress things for so long, something buried alive yeah. is going to come out. So yeah. about five years ago. basketball underwater or something, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's buried alive. So what started happening was um, I just started falling apart and it started all the things that I was trying to suppress and deal with just started, uh, you know, I was just trying to, to deal with it all. Um, I ended up, you know, porn was the thing that, that was, uh, I was medicating, mm-hmm. using to medicate that pain. Um, and just not knowing what it was, you know, just thinking it was lust and my carnal man, it's the old man yeah. and you've got it's to... the flesh, you know, right? that you learn, yeah, yeah, the flesh, the carnal yeah. flesh that I'm fighting. And I thought, I'm in this fight and I thought, I can't, I can't, um, can't do it. So I was medicating and I ended up getting in, into a relationship with someone um, outside my marriage and that totally medicated my pain and, because my marriage, we had sort of, we were emotionally divorced for about 10 years, but trying to hold on, yeah. hold things together because I wanted to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, and then in that time thinking, well, I'm definitely going to hell now. And might as well light the fuse. <laughs> I, I feel you, man. I've been in that yeah. position before too. And on that slippery slope, um, yeah. um, down that, that hill um i was struggling i was still going to church and in my heart i was i was like desperately god help me you know there was just this little i i knew i i could sense this little tiny voice inside me that wanted to to do the right thing and and that was my only sort of connection with well it must be god because i don't want to do these things i don't want to be here and i don't want this and Anyway, what happened was my daughter knew that there was something up and things weren't right. And she went looking into my iPad and found messages that all came out. It was totally humiliating and devastating. I was a teacher at the time in a Christian school and I lost my job and, wow. and uh, you know, everyone found out. It was totally uh, devastating for me. And, and, you know, I'd made wrong choices because my wife sort of new and it all came out, but I was so totally relieved. 
as devastating as it was, mm. so totally relieved that that it was all out into the light. But I never, I never knew. Then after that, I started. After that, I, I got so hungry to find answers. And through that experience, I was at my lowest point, and I felt God the closest to me. But um, that's when I, for my wife's sake, I got X3 software on my computer, uh-huh. you know, accountability software. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and through that, I got an email one day that said, you know, what if the problem wasn't lust? What if you're medicating a deeper trauma? And that was it. I, I was like, yeah. you know, the lights went on and, and I knew. And that's how I ended up going to my pilgrimage and, and um you know, on that pathway to freedom. And, and on that pathway, porn has gone out the door and they've yeah. been healing, healing that trauma, healing all, all of those things. And then my right. quest to to work out why my experience now is telling me something different about God than, than what I've learned. So. Yeah, yeah. that's And that's what brings me to Keith's work. Because um, I received some of those same messages. And my story, similar to yours, Craig, um, keeping things in the dark, trying to to live this double life. Um, it wasn't really till later on I started to realize that some of the theology I grew up with. I'm also a survivor of childhood sexual assault. I didn't tell anyone that until I was 38 years old. I went through addiction to drugs. Um, I drank myself to death when I was 16 years old. Flatline for two minutes. Uh, I got, and then after that, you'd think that would straighten me up. Got into meth and crack cocaine. So, yeah. And so, and then I became this really Christian conservative guy, you know, and, and there's just a lot of theology, which brings me back to why Keith's work, I believe is so important that almost encourages one to kind of live in the dark, yeah, to live in the shadows, to fake it with this level of identity. Um, Keith, you're a guy who got out of the pulpit in order to follow Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. On your bio, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. tell, tell us about that. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I had been licensed and ordained in my, when I was like in my mid 20s um, in, in Texas, at Southern Baptist, and served at different churches in different capacities over the next probably 10 years. You know, um, and, you know, for the most part, in the beginning, um, it made sense to me. You know, I, 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 was, I was all in. Uh-huh. Um, but the more you're, when you, when you serve at sort of that level, that pastoral level, and you, you're just aware of things, you see things and you know things that the average person in the pew isn't aware of. Right. It's sort of like, you know, how the sausage gets made and you're kind of like, huh. <laughs> this isn't a lot like Jesus at all. This actually doesn't seem like the book of Acts at all to me. Yeah. Um, and, and then, and that's stage one. And then the next step is, because you're young, you think you're idealistic and you kind of start like in staff meetings going, hey, um, should we be doing this or shouldn't we be doing the Jesus stuff? And then you get, you know, corrected and right. uh, they look at you sideways and all that. So anyway, I went through that phase and... Um, so yeah, eventually, this was now, I guess, about 13 years ago. Uh, we were living in Southern California, my wife and I. We had two boys who were like maybe, you know, elementary school age. We had started to plant a church with some friends of ours. 
in, in California. And for the most part, loved it, did it for three and a half years, but we were really starting to feel like we didn't fit. More and more feeling like, yeah, you know what? God's calling us to do something a little different. And um, so one of the things we felt God calling us to do at that time was to leave and start a church that would give away 100% of the offering to the poor in the community and we wouldn't keep anything for ourselves. And that was a crazy, amazing, awesome vision. But I was like, how? Right. How do you do that? Um, so th then we figured out that the only way to do that is if I just got a real job like everybody else to support my family. And we just met in houses. So we did that. And uh, that's where I left the pulpit to follow Jesus. And right. um, we did that for 11 years. It was so amazing. It was such an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. It completely changed my ideas of, of church, of, of what it means to follow Jesus. Kind of set me off on this journey I'm on now where uh, I started just deconstructing all these things I thought about God and the Bible and Jesus. And um, once I was sort of free from that church structure, uh, I, I was free to sort of like think for myself and, you know what I mean? I could read this book and that book. I didn't have to be afraid about, oh, you know, you're going to get in trouble if you, if you go there or you think about this or you investigate that. So I was free to sort of like study on my own and, and read things on my own. And if I had a question to, to pursue it and um, I guess talk about slippery slopes, Craig, that was my slippery slope um, <laughs> sort of away question. from evangelical Christianity and, and really kind of like what you guys are talking about, you know, on the theological side, just starting to recognize so many things that are man-made things that are not of God. They're not, it's not who Jesus is. It's not what Jesus was about. He wasn't about these things. We, you know, uh, we have created these systems. We created a, a system of church. We've created these theological systems that sort of reinforce this worm theology, what a worm, what a wretch, what I am, there's no good in me, and blah, blah, blah. Right. And, you know, all these kind of things that are tied to some theologies. And at the end of the day, whether it's a doctrine of eternal torment, or, you know, the Bible's inerrant and infallible, or, or any of these things, at the end of the day, if you take a step back and look at it, what, at least what I've been able to recognize, is how much those things are more about fear and control um, in other words, there's a church system, there's a religion that wants to control people, and it's very convenient to control people through these things like fear and shame. Yeah, and uh, effective and functional. Yes. At least on a certain level, it, yes. it works, right? It yeah. keeps people in the seats, it keeps people <clears throat> oh, pulling yeah. money out of their pockets. <laughs> oh, yes, you no, have to man. keep people, and this is the thing I've noticed too that really drives me crazy. Because, um, you know, now that I, I, once in a while I go and visit churches, you know, we'll be visiting friends out of town, and Hey, come to church with us. Okay. I'm not really into that, but I'll go with you. And, um, and then I, and I'm sitting there in the pew and what I'm just noticing is like, it's almost like a game, you know, like the, the churches have to emphasize what a worm you are, what a wretch you are. Let's sing a bunch of songs about what a wretch and a worm and how worthless you are. <laughs> and then we're going to, so we're going to emphasize your sinfulness and your failures and, you know, kind of heap on the shame and all that. And then we're going to give you Jesus as your, as you know, but, but you could be, you know, forgiven and you could be saved and you could be loved and if accepted and all that. And, you know, and whether it's come get communion for forgiveness or come down front and pray a prayer if you're a Baptist and repent or whatever and get your forgiveness and, and then see you next week. And we'll just go through the whole hamster wheel again. And it's, it's like, again, like holding this carrot and dangling this carrot in front of people that says, um, you don't deserve God's love. Okay. But here's how you can get it. 
jump through these hoops and now we'll give you a little, just a little bit of it. Not a, it's not forever. It's just for right now, maybe enough to get you through the week, but come back next week because you're going to need another dose, right? Another another shot. Yeah. And, and it's sort of like, I remember sitting there, uh, I was literally sitting in actual service uh, and, uh, and this was happening and it just came to my mind, like what happened to behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? It's, it's, in practice, it's more, it's actually more like, behold the Lamb of God who just keeps reminding you what a sinner you are. Yeah. That kind of, I mean, in, in, in essence, that's kind of the game that we're, we're playing. You know, what a sinner I am, what a sinner I am. Like, instead of like, what if you started the service? Like, flip it around. Well, don't even flip it around. Just start where you end most services. Let's start with, you are loved. You are forgiven. You are accepted. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He did take away the sins of the world. God is not counting our sins against us. You know, He has given us this ministry of reconciliation, and that, and that's how we kick off the service. And then the rest of the service would just be an awesome, amazing <clears throat> celebration of how awesome Jesus is, how loved we are, how great He is, how how great it is to be free. Like, I don't understand why we can't start there, but yeah. we don't. We have to go through the shame shame and guilt and, and and then you know and we just keep repeating that cycle over and over again yeah it's sort of like uh multi-level marketing or something yeah. like if we, if we can <laughs> keep sell you this, a, you know yeah, we sell you on how share. horrible you are but it's it, a time it, share on jesus yeah yeah it, but and i you know thinking about craig and i story i met uh uh paul young who is a oh, friend i love him yeah and uh yeah he yeah. um and he I met him, I, I recorded an interview with him as Mars Hill was crumbling down. And this is a place, you know, for all the crappy stuff Mars Hill was and the kind of Calvinism, you know, you, to be a member, you had to agree with at least four of the five points of Calvinism. Oh, there you go. Like, <laughs> pretend like, okay, you know, I, I believe that, buddy, you know, I didn't really, but, um, but there was Thursday nights, they had grace groups and there was heroin addicts coming in off the streets. I mean, this is Ballard in wow. Seattle. And, and people were, you know, I remember praying for a guy who started living behind a dumpster and then, you know, got into a halfway house. He was on methadone. He was, get, we were praying for him. We put hands on him getting off of methadone. And not too long after that, you know, Mark doesn't want to say he's sorry about being a bully and, you know, being shady about the church funds. And the whole yeah. thing crumbles down. And uh, that's when that's when Paul, you know, and I started exchanging emails. And, and the thing about propitiation and, and penal substitutionary atonement oh, yeah. is, was something that really I had tied to my heart. And, and, and he also is, is a survivor of childhood. Mm -hmm. Yes, he is. And just that message just tells you the same thing. I remember being a kid, nine, 10 years old, going to church and hearing the same words my abuser used to keep me quiet coming from the pulpit, which wow. was, um, you know, like this guy was, he didn't threaten to kill my parents or, you know, I'll torture a puppy in front of you or anything like that. Here's what he said. Here's how he kept me and some other boys he was abusing quiet. Um, Hey, if people knew about this, they'd think you're dirty and they won't love you. Like you got to keep this between you and I, because if they knew, yeah, they would, 
they would they would reject you. They wouldn't love you. Your parents would see you as broken, awful, dirty. And that's sort of the same thing I was hearing from church. Yeah. But but Jesus rides in, right? Like he saves us from God the Father. Is that yeah. some of what you experienced, Craig? And and how did you uh, uh, how did you stumble across Keith's work? I I went on a a journey because I I was wrestling with. I'm thinking here. I've just gone through this experience and I've felt God's mercy. But even when I heard those those things from the pulpit that you know god can't look on you but he looks through jesus and i thought i can't i can't believe that you know i can't i just can't accept it why i just i couldn't accept it but i but i couldn't answer you know something alternative and i didn't have that so i had all of these things like you know the god of the old testament did he have a personality change to the new testament and you know all of that stuff so yeah. so i'm i was i've been wrestling with those things for about two years and and then um i i i came across i think it was um a bit of richard raw's work and then a bit of brad jerzak and then and then keith uh keith's work and his books and and i've just finished three courses online courses with keith um i did jesus undefeated the the one about the views about hell which was one i i was trying to reconcile you know how a god of love worked with the the punishment the torture burning you mm. know thing and the other one was jesus unbound where where keith opens up the the reality about the scriptures and um, I just did the Jesus Unveiled, which is about the true picture of what church is supposed to be. And they've been absolutely life-changing for me, those three books. like, And, and in each of the books, Keith is pastoral heart. He, he goes back. And in the middle of the book somewhere, he'll bring out relationship. Yeah. So he'll leave the theology aside and, and then come into, well, you know, there's a relationship here that we need to have. There's a, a relationship with Christ. And in, in each of those um, books, Keith tackles those hard questions and exactly the questions that I've been asking. And and through that time, I could feel my heart shift. And that wrestling, um, I came to a point where I could hold, you know, things that you can't get a definite answer on. It didn't matter. I could hold them in peace and, and hold that... Um, I don't know what the word is hold hold the the differences in 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 peace and hold the truth in in balance or in peace and, and I was I was at total peace like Jesus Unbound with the one about the scriptures was totally you know I loved it it was totally life changing for me to go from seeing the scriptures um and and what they really were pointing to Jesus and and. You know, the crux of that book for me was where Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, you search the scriptures because in them you think you've got eternal life, but you don't, you refuse to come to me. And, and it just puts the Bible and the scriptures in perspective. You know, they're, they're sacred and, and they're, they're scriptures and they're writings, but, but they're not, um, you know, wasn't God holding the person's hand, writing down, <laughs> yes. which I thought it was. I thought right. it was absolute, you know. I was thought that it was absolute. You know, you change one word from this book, 
you know, and, and um, it, it just puts it in perspective where, where it's a relationship with the living word, with Christ, yeah. and the scriptures are there um, that point to him, you know, and, and so that's why, I, I mean, I always, I've been promoting Keith in the micro-image group. Thank you. Because um, yeah. there's a lot of questions like people come up with, you know, I tried this, but my theology, they wrestle with the theology, like meditation. Ooh, that's, that's new age, isn't it? You know, ooh. Yeah. And, and so, and in the church, like, the theology is not there to deal with trauma. Yeah. Like, there's no transformation. That's what I found. Like, memorize scripture, pray more, fast more. Those things never transform me. Yeah. They didn't transform me. It's like it shoving it in from the outside and expecting yeah, it to, yes. to take root, right? And, yeah. And, yeah. and no matter how hard I prayed, like, I, I can't tell you how I prayed and fasted because I didn't want to have this stuff in my life. I wanted to love God, you know? But that trauma and those things that are underlying, you never get to because, you know, the theology in the church fails. Yeah. They don't take you to that place where, you know, like I even, they even, even last week, the church that, that I attend with my wife, um, they had a thing on anxiety. And the people who were talking about it said, well, I suffer from anxiety, Ben. You know, like I have to live with it. It's my thorn in the flesh. Paul had a thorn in the flesh and God's grace is sufficient. And even inside me, I thought, no, these things can be dealt with and transformed. Yeah, yeah. You know, but we don't have, we don't have the access in the church to really see transformation in people's lives. I believe that there is, but, but to have a, a set theology like there is in my pilgrimage, like every walk, everyone's walk is different, yeah. but there's certain principles, you know, and it wasn't, for me, it was coming to that quiet place and to stop thinking. Yeah. Stop thinking. Yeah, exactly. That's Yeah, because they say, well, it's your mind, you know, renew your mind. You think, it's not about your mind. It's about your heart and what's in there, you know. You turn your mind off. It wasn't until I started doing that 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 I could access what was going on inside. And, and, And like Keith said, the kingdom of God is inside you. It's not got up in the sky right mm-hmm. it's it's in here and and it wasn't until you know i started searching about meditation and biblical meditation and um a fantastic resource on youtube was father um father thomas keating and he calls it the divine therapy and it's just absolutely beautiful and i used to think you know what do catholic people know you know, that was my mindset before. <laughs> uh, this guy comes up with this fantastic process of just inviting the Trinity and, and Christ into that moment, into going go into your inner room, shut yeah. the door, yeah. and and be in there. And and that's what I see meditation as. Go into your inner room, shut the door, you know, stop thinking, just turn the mind off and feel. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That feeling, and, and that that was the start of my my road to freedom. And that's what I like about. Where now, I think I'm, I'm I, I think it's surreal the life I have now. Yeah, the relationship I have, the presence and the joy and the peace. I, I have to pinch myself because I think it's just real. It's yeah. just it's amazing. 
Yeah. And, and that connection with God. And, and, and I can, like, I don't have to change gears to go into put a worship song on or and like God, it's just there. God's presence, you know, and, it, and yeah. coming through all those things, I've come to this place. Of, I, I guess it's his rest, you know, mm-hmm. it's just your life flowing out. Yeah. I was able to connect with those mm-hmm. words of, of, uh, of Paul, where he's saying, you know, the, the definition of worship isn't the music at church. It's your yes, life yeah. pouring out. Yeah. That's why I think your, your work is so important, Keith, because yeah. You're not out to, I mean, we, sometimes I'm criticized for something like I'm bashing the church, you know, I'm just bashing bad theology. And, and that's right. one of the things about your heart is, is wanting to see a healthy, healthy communities, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think, you know, I've done these, uh, this series of books, Jesus, the Jesus Un-series, right? So, yeah. and that really, I think you could paraphrase or sort of just like each book in this series is focusing on one aspect of theology, doctrine, systems. Again, not people. It's, it's just these systems that, that again, we've, people have created them. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it comes from a place of, um, it, it ends up becoming a distraction from Christ, like the real living Christ in us that Craig has, you know, just talked about his experience. And so we, like we sort of as human beings, I think we crave formulas. You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah. God, if I do A, then... And, and then you'll do B and then C will happen. Right. And, yeah. and so we, we would almost rather say, God, give me a formula. But the problem with that is if I have a formula, I don't need God. And yeah. I think God resists that. I think God always resists formulas. He doesn't want a formula. He wants to take all that junk out of the way. And that's what I'm trying to do in my books is sort of point out these things we've built that, that we put up that kind of block our view of the true Christ or, or, or block our access to the true Christ. And, and uh, my goal is to shine a light on it, expose it, tear it down and reveal, look, there's Jesus. And you can hear his voice. You can know him. You can experience him every moment of your life. And, you know, and, and you don't need politics or a book or that some holy book that, you know, like Greg said, yeah, God wrote it on Corinthian leather and it fell out of the sky that says Holy Bible, <laughs> author, God. You know, yeah. like, look, no. And the King James. God, God didn't write the Bible. We did. And yeah. that, that's a mind-blowing concept. We just have to admit it. God didn't write the Bible. People wrote the Bible. It doesn't yeah. mean it's not good or not something helpful, but it's, it's not, you know, we can't worship, we can't elevate this book that we wrote about God above God like, or, or Christ. Yeah. So, you know, tearing down that, our church systems, which I, again, I think create these sort of formulas that we can go through and motions we can go through, but it's not really getting to the, it's not touching on the, 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 the relationship, the connection with Christ, the abiding in Christ so that he abides in you. Cause that's where transformation happens. And if you settle for anything else, you don't get that transformation, right? So these are the, this is why I've been writing this series of books, like pointing out the hell doctrine and where it really comes from, that it's not, it's actually not even, the eternal torment is not even really in the Bible. I can, like I can say that with authority, that yeah. <laughs> the doctrine of eternal torment doesn't appear in your Bible. Um, and that's one of the things I'm trying to show people. Now, there are two other views of hell the church has held. And, and so we look at all three views in that book. But, but you know what I mean? I just, uh, I, I really want to, to expose the things that hold people down that keep them sort of in bondage to, 
to systems or gurus or leaders or, you know, we don't need that. And we might, we might prefer that part of us might think we want that because it's easier in some ways for us to kind of go through the motions, but that is not God's heart for us. And I really don't think it's even how ultimately if we really just say that, you know, the truth, our heart of hearts, our desire, the deepest desire of our heart is we want to be connected with God. We want to be, we want to know him and we want to be known and we want to, we want to abide in him and have, have him abide in us. So that's why I've been writing these books on these different topics, ultimately just to hopefully (laughs) set some people free from this stuff so that we can really just connect with Christ. Yeah. I like how you, you brought it into a way people can really understand it and bring it into the relationship aspect, like Craig yeah. was saying. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, what I think is also fascinating is some of the, um, some of the people who criticize, you know, want to call me a false teacher or a heretic or, or whatever. Um, number one, most of them, they've never read my book or yeah. any of my books. Um, and because they're assuming, they just assume based on the premise of whatever the book happens to be that I, that what I'm doing is I'm sort of tearing down Christianity, yeah. but I'm not. And I'm telling you, go talk to the people who have read the books, go on Amazon and read the reviews and you will see people give testimonies of how, Oh my gosh, I am closer to Christ now than I ever have been before. Thank you. So I'm, I'm, I'm if I'm doing anything, if I'm going to be guilty of anything, I'm, I'm happy to be guilty of giving people more of Christ and less of religion yeah. that I'll take it. You know what I mean? <laughs> people fear what they don't know. People fear what yeah. they don't know. And, you know, it, it's, it's true. I, I remember telling someone about a bit about my journey and, and about meditation. And I was like, Ooh, you know, that you can, that's you opening yourself to deception. And, you know, and I'm thinking worried well, about your brother. If, yeah. if that's bearing <laughs> this fruit, if that's bearing this fruit in my right. life, give me more deception. Yeah, that really should be the way it is. Like, um, I think that's the more, more, more compelling thing, like in just our lives, that like you're saying, the fruit of it, it's sort of like, um, it's this metaphor of sort of like, when you pull warm bread out of an oven, right? You open the oven and you pull this freshly baked bread out of the oven. It's like, I don't have to call anybody, (laughs) right? Eventually everybody, no matter what room they're in, no matter what they're doing, eventually they're going to go, oh man, what is it? They're going to come find me. And like, what is that? And that's sort of like your life, right? You want your life to reflect this joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Like you, you want the, the fruit of Christ, which will happen in the transformation process. Yeah. And yeah. when people see that, wow, you have joy, you, you're, you have peace, you have freedom. You'll you know, know them like, by their fruits. Yes. And they'll be like, what's your secret? And so then if people notice that, and then you're like, well, you know, I just spend, you know, I, I just have this new awareness that Christ is always with me and I'm always with him and, and I'm, I'm biting with him and yeah, I'm doing some meditation and that's how I'm doing it. And yeah. it, any, anybody else wants to try it, you can do it. Um, mm. You know, but again, it's only the people that are really hungry and thirsty. You know, Jesus uses this metaphor, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. Yeah. But you have to start with being hungry. Yeah. If you're not hungry for it, I can't convince you. I shouldn't even waste my yeah. time trying to argue somebody into this. If, if, if the thing that they're doing to them, it isn't broken. And there was a time in my life when I was very gladly, happily in that old system of Christianity, churchianity. 
Um, and, I, and for a time at the beginning, I was happy with it. I didn't think it was broken. Yeah. And, and yeah. no one would have convinced me. If I could have gone back in a time machine and, and convinced, tried to talk to myself, you know, a 20-year-old Keith, Keith, no, you need to, I would have, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I had to live my life, see what I saw, experience what I experienced, come to a place where all, I realized all that stuff was empty. And it, it wasn't really what it, what it was said it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't scratching this itch in my actual life that I needed scratched. And I won't yeah. try to find a way, what, what is this? How, how do I find this? Yeah. And, um, and so, so then now, now you're in a place where you're hungry and you're thirsty. And then when someone pulls that bread out, it's like, oh, yes, yeah. here it is. Yeah. Right? And, your, and your tuning fork goes off. Yeah. It like, yeah. It's just, yeah. yes, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. You know, yeah. and, and like the biggest thing, Keith, in, in Jesus Unbound that hit me was, was how people can have a relationship with the Bible and not with the Christ, not with, right. with the living word. Yeah, It's so true. And Jesus you know, Unbound was one of your most popular books, right? You know, it's one of my favorite ones. And if people ask me which one to start with, I will usually say to start with that one because I think it's sort of the code. Yeah. It cracks the code yeah. for everything else that I'm going to talk about in it because um, I think we're, if we're trained to do anything, if we're indoctrinated to do anything in the church, it is to sort of have this flat Bible perspective that it's the mm -hmm. word of God and it, you know, God wrote the Bible sense. and all that, but it's not just that it's, it's understanding then the, so that's kind of like what it isn't, but understanding what it is, is that it's a map that points to a treasure. It's a menu that's telling you about a meal that you should enjoy. Um, yeah. and, but because if you have this other perspective, you, you begin to act as if you, you start buying the lie that the, that the treasure, that the map is the treasure, right? I've got this map. It's my treasure. No, yeah. it's not. That is not the treasure. It's telling you how to risk, how to find the treasure, right? And so, like you say, eat the menu. Yeah, or don't eat the menu. That's that's not going to nourish your body. That's not the purpose of a menu. Yeah. And um, and so you know what I mean. So uh, I think Jesus Unbound is is a critical sort of an entry point. Because for me, it was like to, uh, the first time I figured out that that there was another way to look at scripture that wasn't the flat Bible that I was taught my whole life that there was this other way of looking at scripture through the lens of Christ. This is actually what Jesus talks about. It's what Paul talks about. It's, it's how the early Christian church looked at scripture. And that is to first know Christ, abide in Christ, right? You hear his voice, you know him, you have the mind of Christ. And now that you know Christ, uh, Paul says that it's a very powerful uh, passage. Paul actually says that he says to this day, of course, when he was writing it, a veil covers their eyes whenever they read the old covenant. And he says, because only in Christ is the veil removed. And what is that telling you? That if you, if you pick up your Bible without, under, without first looking through the lens of Christ and you just read anything in the Bible, you're going to get it wrong. You're going to misunderstand it. You have to. You have to first start with Christ because only in Christ is that veil removed. And now you can clearly see and understand who is God, what is God like, what is of God and what isn't really of God. What's, what's man, what's someone's opinion? Because again, God didn't write the Bible. People did. Yeah. So it, it's not saying that there's, you know, what, what it helps us to do is to see and find and discover Christ all through the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can learn to do that, that makes it so much easier to move forward with everything else yeah. you know, that we need to deconstruct and, and question in our, in our faith journey.
all this language of being in Christ and Christ is in you, uh, Baxter Kruger, some of his stuff. Oh yeah, I love Baxter. <laughs> John 14, you know, I, I am in the father and you are in me and I am in you. Right. Like that's, yeah. That was a that was a huge one for me. I uh, was I was shit. introduced to so many different Jesuses, you know. At yeah. Mars Hill, we had the MMA Jesus, you know. Yeah, yeah. Come in with his sword, and he's gonna, you know. And then there was a sort of a weird nihilism that was going on with the Calvinism, yeah. right? Like I'm a piece of crap, but Jesus came in to save me, and so this is weird, <laughs> not really understanding what's going on. Yeah. So so who Jesus is is a big one. There's a guy in Portland that wrote a book about these different myriad of Jesuses that he, he encountered, you know, throughout his Christian journey and, mm-hmm. and finding the, the, the inner Christ, the Christ inside rather than kind of like branded Jesus. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> every church has got yeah. a different yeah. brand of Jesus that they're selling, you know, and they'll put it on their name or title, especially non-denominational churches. Right. Like right. one of the, you know, CrossFit church or something. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, talking about in Christ, that was a huge one for me. And the book, Keith, was oh, yeah. was having that revelation because I'd always thought that a person accepts Christ and then they become a Christian. But if they're not, they're they're dead. They're, they're worthless, alienated, dead. And a huge change for me was was seeing that Christ is in every person. That was huge. Yeah. And and the part where where Paul says that Christ uh, was revealed in me, not to me, mm-hmm. but in me. And that experience changed the rest of his theology from that time on. Yeah. Uh, that Keith mentions in the book. And that was a huge, you know, people talk about, you know, poo-poo experience, but experience is one of the main things that influences who we are, our experience of Christ. But, but just that point that now I look, and I see everyone as sacred because there's that diamond, the Imago Dei, in, in every person. Christ is in every person. Yes. And it took me a long time to get there. Uh, I, used, I wrestled for a couple of years all around that whole thing of like, Christ is, you know, Christ is only in me if I prayed the prayer and asked him in my mm. heart. Which that that yeah. doesn't appear, by the way, that phrase... Jesus, we're, we're never told to invite Jesus into our life, like Baxter Kruger, right? No, no, no. I, Jesus is inviting us into his life. Right? Yeah. But, but yeah. that whole concept of that whole back and forth, I actually, my, my friend Jamal Jabanji, who we, we were doing, um, we did a podcast together for several years, um, and he's moved on now. But uh, Heretic he Happy were, Hour, right? Yeah, we were doing Heretic Happy Hour together. Mm-hmm. And then we're still doing Heretic Happy Hour, but he, he stepped away. Um, so we have two new hosts now. And, um, but anyway. But Jamal used to push me on this, and I'm grateful for him because he's he's really the, the the catalyst that pushed me to keep looking and keep studying and keep thinking, um, and I and I finally was able to turn the corner because I suddenly discovered all these times in Scripture in the New Testament where we're told that even unbelievers are in Christ and Christ is yeah. in them, and it blew my mind. I'd never seen mm. these things before, so. I mean, like one of the one of the examples is um, when Paul, like you, you just made it, mentioned a good one there, Craig, but also where um, when Paul is pre- preaching in Athens in the Book of Acts, yeah. preaching to idol worshiping pagans, pagans. Yeah. and he yeah. tells them, "God is your father," <laughs> and God and he and this Christ, this unknown God that you you don't even know who he is. Let me tell you, it's Christ, and 
This is the one in whom you live and move and have your being. Yeah. He didn't say this to Christians, right? Mm. And then if, it, there's so many things. Like uh, there's also a verse in um, 1 John I love. I think it's 1 John like 4, 16 or something. And it says, um, God is love. Well, we all know that verse, right? But it keeps going. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God in them. Um, what? So I just keep seeing these verses, right? And, and, and again, my friend Jamal just kept, keeps pushing me and keeps pushing me and challenging me and challenging me. And I finally got to the place, I think what actually, the final, final straw for me uh, was Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr's book, and it just came out maybe about a year ago, uh, Universal Christ. And there's a testimony he shares in his book. Um, this is how recently I, I turned the corner on this because I was still thinking about it. And then I read this part of his book and he shares in this book, a testimony of a woman who's on a subway and um, she suddenly just had this vision and she could suddenly just see Christ in everyone, everybody on the subway car. She just see, she could see Christ in them. And then she, the, 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 she gets off the subway. She goes upstairs to the, you know, the sidewalk outside and, and continues, and she can see Christ in everyone she looks at. And it, and it goes on for like almost the whole day. And, um, and one of the in- interesting things she says is that she goes, I would see Christ in some people, and I would see Christ alive in them. He was just busting out of them. Mm. It was just joyful, and light was coming out of them. I could see the life of Christ in, the, in some people. And she said, in other people, I would see Christ in them, but it was, if, it was as if Christ were dead in his tomb awaiting his resurrection Mm. and i was like oh my gosh Mm. that's it (laughs) christ is in everyone but he is in some of us he's 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 in us but the 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 stone is rolled and he's awaiting that Mm. resurrection moment but Mm. it doesn't mean he's not in us he's he's just not alive yet he hasn't come alive Mm. in us so anyway just looking at all those different things and i wrestled back and forth on that brad jerzak helped me a little bit too brad jerzak has yeah. written some uh, on that topic as well. That also helped me yeah. to, to wrestle through that idea. And it's also tied to the idea of God being our father, right? Again, mm-hmm. again, as Christians, yeah. we typically want, we prefer it to be that God is our father, meaning Christians, but he's mm-hmm. not the father of non-Christians. But that's, again, not what scripture says. Like, you know, God is the father of all. We're all made in the image of God. We are all, like Paul said to these idol-worshiping pagans, God is your father. He had no problem telling these non-Christian pagans, God is your father, and you are his children. So, um, yeah, all all those things, it it was a long wrestle for me to get to that place of kind of relaxing my grip on that idea that it's, yeah, actually, no, I think, you know, Paul talks about this also in in Colossians and Ephesians. He goes on and on when when he's kind of gushing about Christ. And several times he'll say that Christ is all in all. Like mm. that means he, Christ is in all, <laughs> everything, right? Yeah. Uh, he created everything. Everything is for him and in him and through him and for yeah. him. And then it even says, you know, that we um, are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's again, it's in, you know, I'm in God and God's in Christ and Christ in me and I'm in Christ. And, mm. you know, this whole kind of thing, it's all mixed together. That's but a pretty then, radical yeah. concept. Yeah. Part of this conversation is I had to be saved from salvation. You know, um, I've been saved like three times when I was a kid and <laughs> a teenager and waiting for it to work, you know, or yeah. click the thing, you know, right? yeah. change me thing or the love switch, you know, I'd click the love switch and 
Um, but I went to the radical other side of, of part of this conversation. And we hear a lot about people who leave church or, or jump church swapping, right? They just go from one church to another. I'm not getting my fix at this one anymore, Keith. Right. I'll go to the, <laughs> I'll sure. be a Baptist now. Dependence. That'll fix it. Yeah, um, because for the me, problem I just, is I'm not going to the right church. Like, the, the, that's the solution. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, find the right, the, it's, yeah, it's a certainty addiction, right? Um, for me, I jumped to the other side for a while where this is all bullshit. Like, Christianity, religion. Yeah. Um, I, I had given up on it for a, a certain amount of time. Yet I still had the trauma and I still had the secretness that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't living in the light. I was lying and, and trying to be two different people. Um, I had just thrown out the God stuff because it made me feel bad. Yeah. So then I'll just, you know, and people think that's part of this, what we're talking about, that we're just, you know, oh, you're just trying to make people say that they can do anything and they're still in Christ. No, but that's not life, right? No, that's no. not life. Um, right. Artemis, you brought up, you brought up the, the temple you know, and, and Corinthians. And I love yeah. that story because that was one of the things of grace for me. I started going to a church in Marysville. I met this pastor Rick and pastor Dan who, who were different than other Christian counselors. Cause they actually listened to me. <laughs> Even when I was offensive, I started going to this church cause I couldn't afford a real counselor. Right. Like I didn't have health insurance that covered mm-hmm. mental health. So, you know, I talked to my mom, you should talk to pastor Rick and Dan and they're pretty good. I go, mom, I've done that. You know, it's people don't get me. I have not lived my life. You know, uh, I've dealt with addiction and stuff that most pastors have no idea. And well, Dan was is an ex meth addict, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. So I opened myself up to these guys, and and they listened. And one of the one of the things that um, was was brought to me was was Matthew 23. First of all. All these things that I was so mad at God about and mad at church and religion about, Keith. And Craig, um, Jesus was too, right? Yes. Like, like <laughs> all, you know, he goes through the book with me, just sitting there. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that? Yeah, Jesus says right here, you know, you slam the doors of the church in, in people's faces, you know? Yeah. You're the blind leading the blind. He calls them what? Whitewashed tombs. and Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Dead loads. Around. He says you put heavy loads on them that you, uh, yeah. that you yourselves won't carry, and you won't even help them carry it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so that had me bringing this back. And I remember I would come to church, you know, every so often, and my family we started going back to church, and I would bring the Bible into Pastor Rick, his office, and I'd slam it on the desk. Let me tell you how this is full of bullshit and lies. <laughs> <laughs> and he finally, like, I, and I kept, I kept bringing it back to like what you were saying, the, the actions and um, obedience and uh, discipleship to use that word. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Rick would say, he finally, you know, he finally got a little frustrated with me in a loving way. And he said, Russ, he goes, you keep thinking it's something that needs to be shoved into you from the outside. There you go. And, and Roman says, I put, the word the law in your heart it's in here and it's moving out from the inside it's not all this guilt and shame and you tried to throw off you know god though now i'll feel better no no i didn't work either you know because there's there's this turmoil that was going on inside me much like what craig was talking about and the voices i mean that guy in my head just 
you're a piece of garbage. You're never going to amount to anything. You're, you know, that just, just identifying where that was so tight was so huge, but it took unpacking grace. Yes. You know, to, to get to that point was, was incredible. And something that you, your, your new book is, I'm curious about Keith, um, because there seems to be at Mars Hill, there, it was cool, you know, and it was hip and everybody was like rock bands were playing and it was dark. You know, you walked in, the aesthetic was dark. You should have seen Good Friday. I still think Good Friday was kind of cool. Like it was very goth, you know, people were yeah. black robes. <laughs> I mean, it was Seattle, right? It was grunge rock, you know, oh, yeah. dark and, you know, we're going to celebrate on Sunday. It was, it was cool, but there was a certain nihilism to him. It was a subtle nihilism yeah. where you're never going to really be free. But Jesus, you know, he's your acquittal attorney, right? Sure, yeah. Give you an acquittal. And so now you get to love, live in love. And it just didn't quite make sense. And of course, that whole thing fell down. But then there's the, there's, I just got a thing in the mail not too long ago about the last days, right? Oh, the yeah. second coming. We're all waiting for the second coming. And, and Jesus is going to come and he's going to set all this straight, right? Like, it's kind of like the Pharisees. I think mean, the Pharisees see Jesus show up on the scene and they go, you know, Jesus says, uh, you know, yeah, I'm going to clean. Yeah. I'm going to settle this, this whole thing into one, you know, one act and it's all going to, right. I'm going to demonstrate my love for you mm-hmm. and I'm going to clean this whole thing up. Right. And that's kind of how the Pharisees process it. Oh, you're great. You're going to clean this whole thing up. And he's like, you know, I could just imagine him looking at them going, yeah, I'm going to start with you. you know? Right. <laughs> And so, so this has damaged my family. This is a big part of my walking away from the faith too, was on my, my wife's side, my father-in-law um, got into Hal Lindsey real thick and yep. ended up not buying a house, ended up not yep. really getting into retirement, you know, and finances and planning. And they just, you know, um, they're still financially devastated from that. And here we are, 2020, still clicking around. My mom yeah. as well that didn't get into education. Well, that was one of her things. Like, well, Jesus is coming back soon. So yeah, why should that. I get a four-year degree? Right, mom, you know. Um, so so touch on that a little bit. I think it's important that you're you're addressing this second coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like Jesus and- is gonna show up and like have you seen those bumper stickers? Look busy. That's right. Yeah, Jesus is coming coming back. Look busy. busy. Look like yeah. we're <laughs> Well, you know, and thank you for sharing the real life stories of that because um yeah. like I can remember I can remember as a young kid um waking up in the middle of the night in absolute terror that the rapture had happened and I and I was left behind. Mm-hmm. And I would get up, I would listen, and if I didn't hear my parents, you know, I would sneak down the hallway and, and put my ear against their door and just wait there until I heard they were snoring or they roll over in bed or something. Like I hear the bed creak. I go, Oh, okay. They're, they're still alive. They're still there. And then I could go back to sleep. And that, and I repeated that, you know, a couple of times a week, maybe. That's um, traumatic, just man. Constant fear, you know, and as a kid, as a little kid, I Terrible, couldn't sleep. you know, the terror that I was going to be like, what, what sins had I done that I was going to be left behind, right? Um, but again, that, that, that fear that's instilled in you, right? And um, and so there's the fear side of it. There's some, there's some real emotional, uh, psychological, you know, damage and fear that's done to people, get kids. Uh, even I know some adults that still wake up with cold sweats and these fears that, you know, 
Jesus has come back and and they uh, they've been left behind. And so there's a, there's a huge fear factor. There's that damage. There's the damage like you talk about where people literally do believe that Jesus is going to come back any minute now, which by the way, he's been coming soon since about 1830. Yeah. Um, and, and there's, and I, in my book, I, I, I document like, here's one and here's another one. And then this year, another one, here's another guy. And here's another one. I actually still have a copy uh, and I kept it. 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 1988. <laughs> and I remember attending a Bible study and uh, going through that book. I mean, dude, 88 reasons. And there's just no way he's not coming back, right? <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, what's even they cracked more amazing, the code. <laughs> yeah. What's even more amazing than that is that the same guy published 89 reasons why Jesus is definitely coming back in 1989. <laughs> and I'm not making that up. He did. Oh, man. So, um, so, there, so yeah, there, there's a real... You know, there's, this isn't just sort of like a theological thing. It is, but it isn't, it isn't just that. It's not like this, let's, let's, you know, answer this end times second coming question. It is like, yeah, this is kill, hurting people. This is, this yeah. is damaging people's lives. Mental and emotional health. Yes. There's the emotional health. And then there's, like you said, like, let's not buy a house. Let's not go to college. Let's not get my master's degree. Let's not, you know, do these things because, because you believe, you know, but again, you understand this is what people thought in World War One and World War Two and mm. during the Gulf War. I remember that too. It was yeah. Saddam Hussein and Babylon. It's Iraq and Babylon are the same thing. Yeah. And World then it was War II, Hitler was putting numbers on the Jews, yeah. right? Like, yes, oh, he was putting Jesus. numbers, tattooed numbers on people. Oh my gosh, right? Mm. So um, yeah, so that's the reason why I felt the need to write it. And the book kind of does two things. So the first half of the book is sort of explaining where this nonsense comes from. Because by the way, it's very recent. Like I said, 1830, right. um, a guy named John Nelson Darby in 1830 really kind of invented this, what we call uh, in times dispensational sort of rapture theory right. that has become, uh, in, in, especially in America, it's just become Christianity. So um, most of the time when I, if I use the terms dispensationalism, uh, Christians look at me and go, what's that? Uh, that sounds weird. I don't believe that. Yeah, you do. You just call it Christianity. So if you believe something, any, anything I'm about to say, if you go, yeah, I believe that, or I've heard that, then I hate to break it to you. You're, you have embraced dispensational end times theology. And it's, it's this story we've all heard, right? Like, okay, before Jesus comes back, we have to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. We have to restart the daily sacrifice so that the Antichrist will show up, stop the daily sacrifice, declare himself in the temple to be God, force people to worship him, make Christians or you know, everybody take a mark on their forehead or their, on their uh, wrist. And if they won't worship him, he's going to put them in these concentration camps and they're, they're going to go through the tribulation. And then, and then, and then there's going to be this whole tribulation time, really horrible things are going to happen. And, and there's going to be flying horses with, scorpion tails flying yeah, out of bottomless yeah. pits and dragons with 12 heads and three horns and 20 eyes and you know yeah. hailstones that weigh 100 pounds and fire from heaven and all of that right if you believe all and then jesus comes back oh my gosh there's a trumpet and then jesus comes back and he there's a massive battle and he kicks ass and he, he destroys the beast and the antichrist and then woo christians are rescued and the bad people are thrown in the lake of fire and it all you know ends in this happy story that whole story 
is dispensational end times theology. That isn't what the Christian church believed for over 1,830 years. Now, again, most Christians, especially, especially in America, go, they didn't. Yeah. But, you know, here's one of the ways you can tell that that's a very recent development, and it all maps back to Darby's theory that started in 1830. Because if you look historically in the Christian church, uh, when people started setting dates and saying Jesus is coming back, it started like after 1850. It's not before that. Christians didn't do that before Darby. They didn't say, Jesus is coming back and let's all get ready in, the, in like the 1500s. Right. Or, you know what I mean? That didn't happen. So, but once Darby's theory is, is popularized, it, start, it gets popularized by the Schofield Reference Bible, Dallas Theological Seminary, and all these things that, that pop up and sort of over time make it Christianity for most Americans. Give it credibility, right? Credibility, right. It's exactly what happens. Yeah. Then, um, you know, because of that, well, then almost immediately you've got people setting dates and, and being wrong about that and then and setting another date and then another guy and then another guy. And then the, the, the um, problematic thing about this, in addition to the things we've already identified as, as dangerous and, and uh, destructive and toxic to people, you know, kind of caught up in this. Here's the other thing about it. It's... Um, it's a very lucrative uh, field to be in, right? Oh, yeah. You mentioned um, Hal Lindsey and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, Tim LaHaye and a lot of guys who, um, here's what I find fascinating <coughs> about these guys who have made a living writing books and DVD series and, you know, doing events, end times Bible prophecy events and all this kind of stuff. Here's what's fascinating about it. Um, what all those guys have in common is, one. I mean, every last one of them, here's what they have in common. They're all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> every last one of them, everything they've ever said, every book they've ever published, it's been wrong. And you know what? The crazy thing is that doesn't do anything to hurt their credibility. Those same guys right now, Hal Lindsey today could write a brand new book about how Jesus is coming back in 2021. And I promise you it would sell two million copies. Yeah. And no one would say, well, what about those other six books? <laughs> Yeah. When you said that Jesus would come back in the 80s, he literally yeah. said that. He said that the 80s would be the final decade of mankind. That's yeah. what he said in the 70s. Great planet Earth, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's the crazy. same with people, people that um, you see all these prophecies. Yeah. Um, something came up on my Facebook about, you know, they're prophesying about Trump and this is going to happen, the COVID this and yeah. COVID that. And it's the same thing. These yep. things don't come to pass, but. It just keeps going, you know? Here's yeah. the next one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't end your career. You would just think it would be over <laughs> for you. I wrote this book and I said everybody, hey everybody, it's gonna happen. And then it didn't. Didn't and I could just have another book next year and, and I'd sell that one too. Yeah. And I still get asked to come back to TBN and come back to talk <laughs> on this guy's show and go talk on this, you know, and it I just keep coming back and I, yeah. I can't imagine. We just seem to have this insatiable appetite for this kind of thing, right? It's, it's captured the imagination of the American Christian so much that we just don't care. Tell me another story. Do it again. Yeah. You know, make, make up another thing. I, I, I'll, I'll buy that one too. So yeah. anyway, my book I mean, is trying it? to expose some of that. And then the other half of it is like once I hopefully can just deal with that and, and can hopefully convince people to stop follow, falling for this anymore is like, well, if you take that away, well, now what? Like, so what's left? And I think actually, um, 
it's a, it's, it's a much better way of looking at this concept of the second coming of Christ. And rather than it being something like, we're all just sitting and waiting and twiddling our thumbs. I wish Jesus would hurry up and come back and fix it. Yeah. Um, actually, what you see in, in the scriptures is not that at all. What you actually see mm. is this idea that we now are the body of Christ. We are the incarnation of Christ in the world today. Um, Paul talks about in Romans how all of creation is groaning for Jesus to come back. No, mm. all creation is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed, mm -hmm. to wake up and get it. Yeah. That we are continuing, you know, this is why Jesus says, um, hey guys, I'm going away and it's better for you if I go away. <laughs> 2,000 years later, we're going, hey Jesus, you know, it's not, come yeah. on back. We're, it'd be better if you came back. Hurry up and come back. That's what'll be better. <laughs> no, Jesus said before he even left, it, trust me, it's better if I go away. Yeah. And, and so I'm trying to get us to come back to sort of let's rethink and reimagine what the sort of second wave of Christ, the second coming of Christ on earth really could look like and what I think it should look like. And that we are continuing because we're abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in me. And all of us are covering the planet and we are, we are living this kind of kingdom life. That's like this little bit of yeast that goes into the dough and covers yeah. the whole of dough. This is the plan. It's always been plan A. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that's sort of my challenge is sort of, I got to deal with the whole crazy end time story and explain where it came from and why it's not really what the scriptures teach. And then second half of the book, let's talk about what I think it should look like. We're looking forward to that one coming out. Yeah. yeah August 25th. It should be out. Yeah. August 25th. Yeah, man, that's, it's so important too, because people don't realize losing one's religion, right? For example, can be the best thing that can happen, you know? Oh, yes. Um, I have a friend who, anonymous, uh, who owns a, a few businesses. Down around where, where you live, Keith, and, and this friend um, has been, you know, a devout Christian, has some coin, okay? Um, has been giving 10% plus to a certain church for a long time. And and I shared some stuff uh on social media about the $600 unemployment. I'm unemployed. You know, <laughs> I've been called back to work kind of. And they're like, yeah, we were, we're wondering if you're ready to come back to work. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to come back to work. And then, and then they haven't called me back yet. So um, we're sitting in limbo with this whole thing. And I shared some stuff about that, about why, you know, where we're kind of at as a country and this idea of now, now, you know, we used to demonize the word socialism. No one's doing that anymore. Right? The yeah. government's cutting checks, right? So, to the rescue. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> what would happen if they didn't do that? That's why it's called a, a stimulus, you know? Yes. Um, and so what, what this, what this uh, friend of mine said is, Hey Russ, the problem is I can't get people to come back to work. Right. Like I'm, I'm suffering. My, my business is suffering because my employees won't come back to work. And I said, well, if I did the calculations, right, $600 a week is only about $15 an hour. Right. And it depends on geographic location. $15 an hour is minimum wage in Seattle. All right. Yep. So here's a guy, you think about tithing and you think about being the body of Christ, right? Yeah. 
what if this cat took that 10, 20, whatever percent he's giving to his, I don't know, Joel Osteen or something like that. Yeah, who knows? And instead flowed that into his employees. Right. Right. What if we, we had the paradigm shift of instead of paying people the least amount you have to, because that's what the market bears for right. the employee job, right? This kind of acquittal Jesus sort of thinking. Yeah. And think about the relationships with the people that our lives impact, you know? Right. Um, for me, if I go back to work, it sounds like I might not get as much as they were offering in, in April when they had first called me and said, sorry, COVID happened. <laughs> um, but going back and serving people with my skill set is something that I'm, I'm interested in doing. I'm not going to risk my life to be a Lyft driver anymore. Right. Um, but uh, starting a new career as a mechanic is, is something I'm, I'm looking to do. Um, yeah. But it, it, but it's that shift, right? Like when, when you're no longer thinking of the church as this kind of systematic institutional thing that we have to keep afloat. Right. Right. That's why yeah, I love your work. Because, that exist basically to, to keep the system going, right? The, the, after a while, there are these things that the system exists to keep itself going, right? And even the church, there's these things that the tithing and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, that that's not a New Testament concept, but it you kind of need that if you, if your goal is to prop up a system. Yeah, right? yeah, and pay the bills on a big building and you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Tax and yeah, it's it's big business. It's it's a to open a church franchise is not cheap. Like in when I lived in Southern California, and I'm not joking. I, I heard you know I went to these things like church planting seminars, where they literally would say, and this was in Southern California, which is an expensive place to live, uh, but they would literally say to church planters to you know, pastors and stuff okay you want to plant a church okay step one get a million dollars when you get a million dollars come back and i'll tell you step two step two is like you need a you need a a building and then you're going to need like a a kick-ass worship leader and an awesome sound system and a big screen you know big screen uh projector and then uh you know then you're going to need a youth pastor and a children's ministry and all these things but you know at first get a million dollars because it's going to you know, it's going to cost a lot of money right. to sort of start this, kick off this church. And, and it's so crazy because like, it's, it becomes more about that system than about people. It's not about people. Like when we were doing house church in Southern California, you know, the, we, we just had this upside down model where um, we didn't need any money. In fact, we, it cost no money to do what we did. We didn't require a dime. And in fact, if anything, it generated money. Because we were already there, we're meeting at homes, right? We already had a place to live. So we were just meeting in each other's houses. And then it was like, well, we had a little extra. And then when we had, you know, extra money that we had in the basket, it was like, who can we bless? Oh, so it's over there, lost their job. Oh, good, let's give them the money. And because uh, we weren't paying for salaries, we weren't paying for rent. We weren't even buying donuts and coffee. So yeah. it was just like, we had this, we, we pulled our money and we just looked at the need. Who? Who has needs? Oh, you know, we could buy groceries for the people, these families living in this motel. Okay, let's do that. Okay, cool. Like suddenly the church became a resource that out of it flowed compassion and resources that were freely available to anyone that needed it rather than it became something that required everybody to just dump money into it and resources into it just so we could turn the lights on. Yeah. It's just an upside down way of looking at it, but that's how the early church was. The early church wasn't, okay, get a million dollars <laughs> and come back, mm-hmm. right? That's not, that's not how the church operated 
for hundreds of years didn't need that. That's not what it was about. Yeah. Oh, man, so true. Thanks, Keith. Uh, thanks, Craig, for coming on the, the ASI podcast here. And uh, my pilgrimage is on Facebook. You can find the group there. And Keith, how can people get more uh, familiar with your work and, and what you do? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, by the way, Russ and Craig. Thank you, guys. It's been a fun good conversation. Yeah, I'm a, I am blog over at Patheos, and you can find it. It's just my name, KeithGiles.com. It'll take you to my blog posts. And um, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, pretty active on both of those and uh, inaccessible if you want to talk to me through either of those channels. Uh, I, I, post a, you know, I co-host a podcast with a, an army of other people uh, called the Heritage Happy Hour. And you can find that anywhere you find podcasts, uh, iTunes, Podbean, et cetera, Spotify, everything. And, um, and of course, my books are on Amazon, uh, just Jesus on something. You'll find me right. on Amazon. <laughs> and those are on uh, print and audio and uh, Kindle as well. So pretty much any format you, you, you prefer. And um, if I could just say something real quick about something else that I've started. So Craig mentioned that I've been teaching some online classes. And I do, I teach some online classes to be disciple.com. And those are based on my books. Um, but I also started this program, a 90 day program called square one. And it's specifically a program for people who have deconstructed their faith, questioned and doubted the things they thought they believed. And they've experienced the pain of going through that deconstruction mm -hmm. process, because it is painful. When you do yeah. that, you lose friendships, you lose fellowship. Often you are either, you either ask to leave a church or you, you leave on your own because you just don't feel like you fit there anymore. And often you lose even members of your family who just can't deal with you anymore because you've changed what you believe about something. And so this, this 90 day course is designed to help people find a community of other, other people going through the exact same thing. And um, we walk through basically how to deconstruct our faith and find a foundation to reconstruct our faith. Again, not building it on the foundation of these other things we talked about that don't lead to life but building on a foundation of our connection with Christ and, um, and finding life in that. So that course is called square one. Uh, the next round starts in September. And if anybody, that sounds interesting to anybody, we used to take about 12 people each time around. And um, yeah, you can find that information on that at BK2, the number two, SQ1 stands for back to square one, BK2SQ1.com. And um, yeah, anybody wants more information about that, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook and, and just ask me about that. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. Yeah, that sounds like a great resource. That's one of the things I've been criticized for recently. I went through, you know, meeting Paul Young and going through therapy with a, a therapist. <laughs> you know, like a, yeah. Like a, like a secular therapist. And and also meeting Seth Taylor and and David and getting into EMDR and uh, well, yeah. rapid transformational therapy, which is, yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's, it's getting out, getting past your head, right? Like this kind of going into these experiences and, and it's like energy work and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's great. I had, uh, I had a, somebody, a concerned emailer email me and say, um, you know, progressive Christianity or progressive theology is the first step to unbelief. Right. Mm. And then he shared with me this, you know, this three, you know, three ways it was written by, uh, Oh, bless his heart too. I, Cause he's written some stuff that I, I liked. 
Alcorn. Randy Alcorn. Oh, Randy Alcorn. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The three, the three ways, you know, progressive <laughs> lead to unbelief. And I think that that can sell, right? That's one of those ideas again that can sell because like you said, you're kind of losing your, you, we're in the place of insecurity. And in when, when you start to question the system. Yes. It's almost like that, that line from the matrix. There's people that are so addicted to the system. They will cut ties with you. Yes. Protect or fight you. Yeah. Right. To stay, <laughs> to stay where they are. Right. Yeah. No, it's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Threatening. So people yeah. start to feel like, you know, man. Oh yeah. You know, I remember, I remember, right, you know, yeah. I remember trying to listen to, I, I just gave up eventually, but I remember I, I would be driving home from work sometimes uh, when I lived in California, I'd be listening to, I, I pop on Christian radio and listen to one of these Calvary Chapel guys. And I just, I couldn't make it more than like five minutes. I just start screaming and cussing and turn it off because, <laughs> because they would eventually start saying like, you've got to watch out for these emerging Christians or you got to watch uh, out for these, these progressive Christians or whatever. And, and they're naming some people that I know. And I'm like, they're like, you know, Rob Bell and William Paul Young. And yeah. I'm like, come on, man. These yeah. guys love Jesus. What are you yeah. talking about? And, yeah. But again, you understand that, that they, they feel that those guys are a threat to they what do. they're doing. And they kind of are. Yeah. And, and they probably are even saying this and preaching these sermons because they probably have had people within their congregations, you know, say, hey, I'm reading this really great book by Rob Bell, or hey, I read The Shack, and it was just a beautiful thing. It set me free from stuff. And that scares them. They yeah. don't want you <laughs> They don't want you going outside the box. You know what I mean? Stay in the box. And like you yeah. said earlier, they probably have never read it. You know? No, never read no, that stuff. You no. know? Um, Paul, and that's the other thing. There's, there's so much of those, you know, um, um, things that you learn about. Don't trust your heart. Don't yeah. trust your feelings. Yes. Don't um, you know you 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 know the unworthy and all that. One of the key steps for me was was with uh, Seth Taylor sharing about um, loving yourself. Yes. And that was one of the first because I'd always hated myself. Yeah. You know, you hate this person that, and you condemn yourself and you hate yourself. And once I started loving the the person that I was, that was a huge step to, I think that was the first step to my, my steps to freedom because I was hating myself and and those times where that all happened were the only times I ever contemplated, you know, suicide because I felt like I was like shit of the world (laughs) and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I shouldn't exist, all that sort of stuff and, and that, that loving yourself, you know, where, where people, We'll talk against that and, and um, you know, anything about feelings and emotions. And I'm thinking, that's the thing in my heart. My heart was telling me this truth. Yeah. But you're told not to, you know, it's evil, um, you know, it's deceitful. It's, yeah. It's going to lead warned, you You're warned against that. Don't, yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid of that. It's just be afraid madness. Of that. Yeah. yeah. yeah and what, it, what they're really saying is be afraid of vulnerability. Yes. And without vulnerability, there is no change. This is something I've told a lot of Christians and Brene Brown found awesome. You know, this idea of shame and guilt, you know, yes. Guilt and vulnerability. Is, Cause she, you're right. She talks about vulnerability being key to courage, to yeah. love, uh, to acceptance. Like without vulnerability, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And guilt, the self-talk of guilt yes. is, you know, I, I messed up. I wasn't present. I learned from my mistakes. Yes. Self-talk of shame is, 
I I didn't just do bad. I am bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Destructive. You know, I I always mess things up. That's just who I am. That's the self-talk of shame. And and these cats don't tend to see that. They don't again they get into the Matthew twenty-three, right? Of the the blind men leading the blind men. Yeah. And so when you're vulnerable, you know, and Randy Alcorn's going to deliver that little message, like, you better be careful, buddy. You know, you're be going afraid. down the trail of, yes. you know, opening yourself up to opening yourself up to like, God's not in control of the whole thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, like yeah. get back in the box. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. Guys, I'm, I'm so honored to have you on here. And, Thank you. Yeah. This you was know. fun. Thanks a lot. Yeah, and again, Enjoy Keith, it. that's awesome. Get in touch with Keith. Uh, yeah. Asking those kinds of questions, he's a great resource. You keep coming up in these conversations. And uh, there's another group I belong to where you came up. Um, I'm, I belong to a few. I'm sort of an advocate for spiritual and sexual abuse. Cool. Um, you've come up in some of the spiritual abuse advocacy yeah. things and i'm going to keep talking about your work there too because cool. that square one idea is a great because a lot of these folks yeah. that are visiting these groups on facebook and that's yeah. another cool thing about the day and age we live in you didn't have that oh yeah no. the internet is uh it's it's no. just been a, a beautiful way to set people free from the kind of stuff we're talking about because you think try to imagine how almost impossible it would be to challenge some of the things we're talking about challenging without the internet, right? Because, you know, without the internet, someone lives in a small town somewhere. All they hear is what Pastor Bob says every Sunday. They live their entire life and never hear anybody ever challenge what Pastor Bob says. Whereas now with the internet, I mean, I can hear Pastor Bob, but I can go check, go on Facebook and someone shares a video or or a, a blog post. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's another way to think about that. Oh my gosh, that that makes more sense. Yeah. And this is why these guys, it's why so pastor Bob is terrified because <laughs> and right. stop. Don't listen to that. Don't watch that. Don't follow that because all of a sudden, right there, there's someone challenging these ideas They're They're so much happier. If you think this is the, what I'm about to tell you is the only way to think. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so I, I, hopefully maybe the positive thing would be a shift where some of these guys will eventually recognize there's value in saying, look, there's more than one way to look at this. You know, the people here or, you know, I tend to see it this way, but there's some other ways. Like just tell people the truth. That's that's the difference between indoctrination and education. If you want to indoctrinate people then tell them, this is the only way to think. But if you want to educate people, you can say, well, there's lots of ways to look at this. Let's look at all of them. And then, I don't know, trust people to make up their own minds. But again, yeah. that's kind of dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that's super dangerous. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's, that's real faith, though, isn't it? Keith? Yes. Like, yes. That is real faith. The yes. opposite of certainty is faith. You yeah. know, when you lay down that, for me, is certainty was another big one, you know? Yeah. Like, I got to know this stuff. Mars Hill was big on certainty. You got to read this book and you got to read this book. And, you know, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology is like that thick. And everyone who's anybody at Mars Hill owns that book and studies that book. And you fill your head with the knowledge. And, yeah, oh, it's exhausting. Um, True. Another big step for me was, um, remember, Russ, I don't know if you saw, I, I shared that clip in the Indiana Jones film 
where he comes to the uh, big chasm and he's got to make that step. Yes. He's got to make that step and there's nothing there. And and Sean Connery's, you know, jump, take the leap. And, um, and he, and he all of a sudden has to, has to take that step. And as he takes that step, that, the bridge appears and yeah. and for me that was such a uh, I, I came to the point where where i i i let go and i took that jump and then all of a sudden i found myself held securely in god's arms yeah. and i could hold my beliefs loosely yeah instead of hanging on to my beliefs as security yes. yeah it was a total shift and and now i'm in that place of well, you know, I can hold these things loosely. I can hold my beliefs loosely because I'm secure in, in God's arms and, mm-hmm. and in him. And, and that was my security. Like so, yeah. 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 That's good. It's a good clip. There's those, those, those analogies in film. I love that uh, Paul Young says that a lot, that he, he writes fiction because fiction gets past our watchful dragons, right? Yes. Those places that we guard and we keep, and you know, the the, the Matrix. There's that similar thing where you're supposed to jump yeah. from one building to the other. You know, one of one of the another beautiful scene was um, Finding Nemo. When I started going through this stuff um, and starting to unpack my sexual abuse and and the the impact of that in my life, I remember seeing uh, find, Finding Nemo and that scene where Ellen DeGeneres' character. It's holding on to the whale with, with uh, you know, the, the other guy. The, the, <laughs> and he's like, and she goes, I know, let's let go. And he goes, we, we can't let go. What's going to happen? She goes, I don't know, but we need to let go. I feel like we really should let go. Yeah. And they let go and I almost freaking cried. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Just the right. points in your life when, when stuff like that, it's like, yeah, you know. It, I don't have to know everything and God really is in control. And, and sometimes people out of the goodness of or fear or insecurity, they're trying to hold on. It's not that they're evil. They're just, yeah. you know, yeah. Trying to do the best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks again, guys. I, uh, yeah. Thank you guys. God bless you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Later. All right. Nobody wants to Ain't it fun living in that big world? Ain't it good being all alone? A.S. Hi. Or Attitudes of Sexual Integrity is a listener-supported podcast. Do you like what you hear? Here? Please leave a review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or wherever you may be hearing this podcast. The podcast, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, is owned by Digital Audio Project LLC who is responsible for its contents. SI, the podcast and its content is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to replace or substitute for any professional physiological, medical, legal, or other advice. In addition Russ makes no representations or warranties within or through the podcast or website. If you have specific concerns or a situation in which you require professional physiological or medical advice, you should consult with an appropriately trained and qualified specialist. Like the jams we play here on the podcast? 
go to asi.org and follow the Kickin' playlist, or search ASI Podcast Bumps on Spotify. Follow the bands if you like the music and get notifications for concert dates, merch, vinyl, and stuff. Okay, bye now.